Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Read with Michelle Martin. I'm reading Bury What We Cannot Take, the story of a displaced family set during the backdrop of early Maoist China. A 12-year-old's decision to report his grandmother's act of rebellion, taking a hammer to a portrait of Mao to authorities, that act changes the lives within the family completely. Kirsten Chen is the author of the novel Soy Sauce for Beginners. She joins me live to talk about Bury What We Cannot Take, which, by the way, has been shortlisted for the Singapore Literature prize this year. Good morning, Kirsten, and congratulations on the shortlist. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I was getting a little homesick just listening to the traffic update. <laughs> the PI and the KPEs <laughs> and all the acronyms, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, welcome home. All right, Kirsten, you're, you're based in San Francisco and you teach creative writing, right? I do, yes. I teach at the University of San Francisco and I also teach at a program in Ashland University, which is in Ohio. All right, share with us what about what you share with your students you wanted to make sure you incorporated in your writing, Kristen. <laughs> Do you mean what writing advice I give my students? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know. That you, that you take so seriously yourself as well. Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's about finding your process as a writer and about not being afraid to be really serious about it. I think, mm. you know, I think a lot of us are reluctant to say we, we feel a little, I mean, there's this kind of like fraud syndrome. And a lot of us feel a little bit embarrassed to call ourselves writers until we've published or until we've published our first books. Mm. Sometimes even after you've published your first book, you feel, you feel a little bit, I mean, insecurity, I think it's just part and parcel of being an artist and of being a writer. And so one of the things I really try to impress upon them them is that you are a writer if you take it seriously. And then I really advise them to build their lives around their writing if that's what they want to do. Even if it's not the thing that's, that they're making money off of, even if their family looks at them askew when they lock themselves in their room, I always tell them nobody is going to take your writing as seriously as you do. And and I think that's a, that's a big, uh, it's a hard thing for a lot of us to do. Especially, I think, if you are in the scene. So you teach creative writing. You know, I talk about books every single day. So I understand, you know, when you respect great literature, to call yourself a writer seems impossible. Why would you do that? I mean, how could you reach that level? But of course, this is your second novel and you've been nominated for the Singapore Literature Prize. Tell us about what that means to you. Oh, it means a lot. I think, well, maybe I'll, I'll start with an anecdote. My, oh, my first novel, my first novel, Soy Sauce for Beginners, came out in 2014. And this was a book that, quite frankly, it sold very well, but mm-hmm. the reviews were kind of, the critical reviews were kind of mixed. And my husband was always joking with me. He was like, what you, and he was, you know, writers always want what they can't have. Maybe human beings always want what they can't have. And he would say, what, so what are you telling me what you want is a critically acclaimed book that doesn't sell that much. So with this second book, I got the critically acclaimed book. And so I'm very grateful to have kind of been on both sides of that line. Great. That is a great <laughs> anecdote. All right. Can you tell us a little bit about this book, Bury What We Cannot Take? And I have to tell you that, you know, I'm part of many book clubs and this title has come up repeatedly as suggestions that people want to read in, in little book clubs here in Singapore. So that's great, I think. Can you share with us, readers, how the idea for a historical novel set in China under communism comes to you? 
Yeah. It's so firstly, it's so nice to hear that that this title that this book is resonating with book clubs. You know, it's hard to know because, like you said, it's historical fiction. It's set in 1957. It's hard to know how it will resonate with a contemporary audience. And mm-hmm. so, I'm very grateful for that. I will say that I didn't at all set out to write historical fiction. It wasn't something that I read frequently. It wasn't something I'd ever written before. But in this situation, it, this, the novel really grew out of a story that a friend told me about his family. And he told it to me one night when we were having dinner. So it wasn't, as, you know, I wasn't even thinking about a book. And the story is basically what I borrowed my friend's story for the premise of the novel. His father and his aunt witnessed his grandmother defacing the portrait of Chairman Mao, and his father reported his grandmother to the authorities. So that premise really almost fell into my lap. And months later, when it's, I know it was really, Love it. and months later, when, when I thought about writing another novel, or, you know, when I started, I thought about starting my second novel, rather, um, this story just stuck with me. And so I, I texted my friend and asked him for permission to use it. And I'm just so grateful that he agreed. And, and I will say that everything about the book is fictionalized aside from that particular premise. So the characters are fiction, the setting, even the time period was shifted a little bit. But I think it's maybe the only time in my career that a premise will just kind of fall in, you know, be gifted to me whole. And so I feel still to this day, very, very fortunate. Thank you for giving us permission to use our friend's stories. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) This is set within a very particular period, very important period of history. What sort of research were you interested in doing to bring this era alive and yet also keep your creative flame going, so to speak, you know, inject your imagination as well, not get bogged down with historical detail. Yeah, I mean, that was that was really the biggest challenge of writing this book was doing enough research to feel that I could do the time period justice, because as you know, this is an incredibly complicated period in China's history. 1957 isn't that long ago. And so You know, there are many people who lived through that period around us. There are many people whose direct family members lived through it. And so I I knew that I had to get the details right, because if not, you know, too many readers would give up on a book if, you know, if the the writer hasn't done, hasn't gotten the, the major facts in the right place. So that was kind of the first thing was just educating myself and reading everything I could get my hands on. So I read every novel, every memoir, every history book that I could find at the library. I read some economic texts. I watched films. I mean, really, any book that had anything to do with that period, I read. And then I realized after about three or four months of research Mm -hmm. that I could research for maybe 10 years and I would still not be done, right? right? Because there was just so much to know. And there are so many scholars that dedicate their lives to this period of history, you know, and that's so daunting. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I mean, it was when I started. And so, you know, I knew that if I set out to learn everything I could, I would never write the book you know, I would give up or I would talk myself out of it. And so at some point I had to kind of scale back and you tell myself, you know, I am a fiction writer. I'm not writing a history textbook. I'm writing a novel. And so I had to reach a place. I I decided that I had to reach a place where I could envision the room that the characters were in. I could envision what they were wearing. Mm. I could envision the way they spoke to each other. And once I knew enough to kind of nail those details down, then I could imagine. 
Yeah, because you, you really bring us along. It is so emotional, this book. You know, what the family is going through, their hope for redemption. Tell us a little, give listeners a sense of, you know, the impact on people's lives and, and what living in this period you really wanted to explore on a personal level. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I think on a personal level, I was thinking a lot about the resiliency of family. This is a family whose lives are torn apart when one family member betrays another and the family has to flee China and they end up being forced to leave one of their children behind as proof that they're coming home. And so, you know, even in just describing that, that is such a devastating and unimaginable event for all of us. And yet it happened so frequently right? Every person from a war-torn country has a story like this. You know, when I was doing readings, mostly around the U.S., when this book came out, people who had Holocaust survivors in their family would say, oh, the same thing happened to my family. People whose family had fled Iran would say the same thing happened to me. You know, here in the U.S., on our borders, parents and children are getting, you know, parents from South America and Central America are getting separated from their children. And so this is something that happens over and over and over again. And yet it's, it's, it's almost like the fact that it is so mundane increases the terror around it. And yet families go on. Families mm. survive these things. Mm. Parents and children somehow, if they don't manage to forgive each other, they manage to keep being a family. And so I think that was kind of what I was most interested in looking at was sort of how all of our families, if you look back long enough, have experienced some kind of trauma, some kind of devastating trauma, and yet we're still here. Beautifully said. This idea of burying what we cannot take, you know, it sounds like something that refugees and families fleeing the displaced commonly have to do. Tell us about why you picked this title. Yeah, I mean, on a literal sense, exactly what you just said, that, you know, refugees have to do that and they have no idea if they're ever going to come home to retrieve what it is they buried. Mm. But I also liked it the way that that title worked in a figurative sense. You know, so many families can't talk about what happened to them because it's just too hard. And so oftentimes generations go by and it's just unmentioned. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about that with this book too. You know, if I wasn't writing a book, would I ask these questions? You know, if I didn't become an author, mm. would I have ever asked these questions? Because this is in some way uh, my history, too. I'm part of the Chinese diaspora, mm. even though this story did not specifically happen to my family. And so I think about that a lot, the kind of the stories that so often go unmentioned because it's just too difficult. Kristen Chen is who I'm speaking with, my special guest today in Read, the author of Bury What We Cannot Take, which has been named Book of the Year by Entropy Pop Sugar, Book Bub, and has been nominated and shortlisted, for, I should say, for the English fiction category for the Singapore Literature Prize. Speaking of Singapore literature, Kirsten, what do you think Singapore literature needs to thrive, given where we are at this present moment? People looking at you saying you're an example of a Singaporean, you know, making it really big in the international market. What do you think Singapore Lit needs to thrive? I guess on the most pragmatic level, we just need more numbers. We're, we're a small country, but already, you know, the year that my book came out, a number of other Singaporean writers published internationally, like Rachel Hang, Charlene Teo, Clarissa Gonawan, Amanda Lee Coe, of course. Mm. And so I think, I think, 
community is an amazing thing. The more of us that do it, the more the more this becomes a viable career choice. I think so much of it is just being able to imagine being a writer, and that's there's remarkable power in that. But I also think from my kind of outsider perspective, because I'm based in the U.S., Singapore literature seems to be thriving to me. Yes. You know, I think local publishers are doing an amazing job. I think the literary scene is vibrant and thriving within Singapore. Everybody, every writer I know is incredibly prolific and successful. Mm -hmm. When I was in residence at NTU uh, back in 2017, I got to work with some creative writing students at NTU. And I was so impressed by the quality of the work, by the dedication and enthusiasm of the students. So, you know, from where I stand, I I think it's well on its way. Fantastic to hear. All right, I understand your next novel is about the counterfeit handbag trade. Tell us more. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. So even though it is about the... even though that sounds like a fairly frothy topic, um, mm. I think of it as actually a, a pretty political novel. Well, I mean, my second novel, Barry, What We Cannot Take, is, is obviously political as well. But this is this handles contemporary politics. It's really kind of set right after the election of Trump. And it's a book about a straight-laced Asian-American rule-abiding lawyer who gets pulled into her old college roommates counterfeit handbag crime ring and um even though it's again i know it sounds lighthearted, but um you know the heart of the book is really about asian americans overthrowing the model minority stereotype Mm -hmm. Uh, and now that i've lived in the u.s for about over 20 years at this point i think i've i've only started to kind of understand what it is to be asian american and to kind of grapple with that identity, because that is how people see me here, even though I am Singaporean, you know, they kind of just assume mm. that I'm somebody who that I'm Asian American. And so it's kind of, it's almost like I have, I'm a little bit of a spy because I'm an outsider in the Asian American community and yet can very, you know, seamlessly move through it. And I think this book is an attempt to sort of grapple with this identity that I've kind of gained from living in the U.S. for so long. Oh, I can't wait to read it already. Sounds like a sprawling novel I can lose myself in. <laughs> Just terrific. Thank you so much. It's been great fun talking to you and we wish you all the best. And please come back and talk to us again when that next book is out, Kristen. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. She's Kirsten Chen and we are reading Bury What We Cannot Take. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.